Welcome to Vegan Business Talk with Katrina Fox, author of Vegan Ventures, Start and Grow an Ethical Business. Hello and welcome to Episode 7 of Vegan Business Talk. I'm Katrina Fox, journalist, media trainer and editor of veganbusinessmedia.com, the multimedia blog providing success tips for vegan business owners and entrepreneurs. In this episode, I interview Sebastiano Cossia Castiglioni, a multi-million dollar businessman and vegan investor. Sebastiano was recently profiled in Forbes magazine in connection with a 20-course gourmet plant-based dinner created by chef Daphne Cheng that he hosted in New York. Born in Milan, Italy, he was taught wine appreciation by his father as a child and is the owner and chairman of one of the most renowned and pioneering organic and biodynamic wineries in Europe, Querciabella. Querciabella is a vegan winery with the best critic scores in the world. Sebastiano is also the chairman and CEO of NKGB Strategic Consultancy, the chairman and owner of Opteres, an exclusive fine art network that consults with and facilitates sales to private clients and banks, and he plans to launch a classical music label in 2017. In July 2014, he was appointed by the Italian Prime Minister to the post of advisor to the Minister and Foreign Direct Investment Senior Advisor with the Italian Ministry of Economic Development. A passionate animal activist, Sebastiano sits on the Sea Shepherd Conservation Society Advisory Board and since 2012 he's invested millions of dollars in various vegan-run businesses, including Beyond Meat and Matthew Kenny Cuisine, plus a range of cruelty-free textile and technology firms. So I'm absolutely thrilled that Sebastiano found time in his busy schedule to be a guest on Vegan Business Talk and share his extremely valuable insights and experience. In this interview, Sebastiano provides tips on what investors look for in a business, how to go about getting investment and much more. Here's the interview with Sebastiano Cossia Castiglioni. Hello, Sebastiano, and thank you so much for speaking to me on Vegan Business Talk. Hello, Katrina. How are you? Very well, thank you. It's lovely to talk with you. One of the things I find really fascinating about you, Sebastiano, as I mentioned in the introduction, um, is that you do such a diverse range of things. And in marketing, a lot of the marketing gurus encourage people to be niche or niche, as they say in America, encouraging people to pick a particular area or demographic or type of business and focus on that rather than kind of trying to be a jack of all trades, master of none. Obviously, you've been in wine for many years. You've involved in business, finance, fine art. Can you say a little bit about how you manage to maintain such diverse interests without getting burnt out and what advice you would give to other people? Well, I, I don't know if I don't get burnt out. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it's pretty hard and, and uh, you know, and, I'm, and I, I really uh, work too much. I know that. But I'm also very passionate in many things. And frankly, I, I don't think there's a formula that can apply to everyone. And uh, of course, I admire people who can concentrate on one thing and do it really well. I get terribly bored if I do only one thing, so I do many. And, and um, uh, you know, I don't want to sound immodest, but I think I can do a few things really well. And so I enjoy the variety. And the advice that I would give 
anyone who um, wants to do business and has passions is is not to give up anything that you really love and but to pursue it at the maximum depth and I think this as far as I'm concerned this this came from my father who um, always um, pushed us to pursue whatever we like to the maximum extent so he um, did not allow anyone to be uh, half knowledgeable about something. We had to we had to really know and study and and be prepared uh, about whatever we liked. And that's how I pursue all of my passions. So I study them to the maximum depth, and I want to be the best possible. Which maybe and 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 obviously I am not, but I try. Well, it certainly sounds that way. I mean, did you sort of start off doing kind of one thing, like with wine, for example? I know I've read that you absolutely studied it and, and became very, very knowledgeable, as you've said. Are you saying you're able to do that kind of, do you think you need to do one thing at a time and then add in something else? Or are you saying to try to do that, or, you know, if you've got more than one passion at the same time, to do that at the same time? Well, maybe, you know, you need to you need to concentrate on something uh really deeply if you want to if you want to achieve a certain level so there are moments when you concentrate more on one thing and and moments when you concentrate more on something else um wine especially is complex and uh so it took me a few years to master the the, the you know the knowledge that I wanted to have um you know it takes time to learn from others to see what everyone does and to also fine tune your taste and your ability to make wine. Wine is particularly interesting because imagine this, that you you start with um, basically fermented grape juice that's very young and at some stage after a certain maturation you have to determine what ingredients you're going to put together in a blend to make a wine that people will taste three years from then and probably enjoy you know 15 years later. So it, it takes some ability to be able to foresee where you know this this um, raw material is what this raw material is going to become, mm. and, and experience helps in that. But um, in general, I find that um, pursuing one's passions, even if they change, is fine as long as you do it with uh, all your energy and 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 all your heart. Absolutely, yes. No, I agree with you. And you've you've mentioned wine, so let's start, talk a little bit about that because you've been involved in the wine making business since you were a child. You said your father uh, sort of sowed the seeds of appreciation of wine when you were very young, mm. and you were instrumental in switching Querciabella to organic and biodynamic farming methods, which is absolutely wonderful. Um, and I noted that you said that you have rejected animal products in all the preparations, so that the wines are not only fine wines; they are also vegan. Um, please say, can you? just tell us something a little bit about how your concern for the environment and animals came about and why it's important to you. Oh, sure. Well, th- this this is the guiding principle of, of my life. I When I was uh, 15, um, I was in the subway one day. I, w- I was born and raised in Milan. So I was in the subway. Someone gave me a leaflet about animal experimentation. I went home, read that, um, and overnight I changed uh, my whole life. And I started reading everything I could about animal abuse and animal rights and all the texts available. But, um, you know, I became vegetarian overnight and uh, and started um, participating in, in uh, animal rights actions and activities. And, and I became an activist, which I still am today. 
So that, that is, um, you know, become and remain the guiding principle for what I do in every field. So if I make wine, it's going to be vegan. And if I invest in a company, I have to make sure 100% that it's not going to hurt or abuse animals. And, um, and this is true with everything. I've, I've been, um, you know, I'm talking about the Stone Age, but imagine when I was a teenager finding vegetarian foods. It's not easy. <laughs> and I, I took my, uh, before being 18, I went to Brighton where uh, this store vegetarian shoes, which you may not know from New Zealand. I do, yeah. I oh, in New yeah. Zealand, is it? Oh, okay. There's one called that in uh, the UK, actually, in Brighton, yeah, that, in the UK. That's the, that's the original one. So I took oh. a trip, and you can imagine a teenager taking trains and this and that, and you know, to to go and find the store so I could finally get shoes without leather that that made sense. And so that that's always been that's how it started. And then of course wow. it's a guiding principle for everything I do. And in wine, um, you know, the, to me being organic is is a given. I I don't even understand how anyone can pretend that it's not doable. It, it, it's ridiculous. You know, our winery has been organic since 1988 and it functions perfectly. There is absolutely no need to use pesticides or any other chemical uh, product or and, and toxic product. And um, and what concerns me is that these products are not only bad for the people at the end of the chain who are going to consume the products, but are also very dangerous for the people who work in the fields and for the animals uh, who live around uh, the vineyards and in the forest nearby. So I would never use any poison. And uh, so our, our vineyards have been organic and then biodynamic. And this, if you allow me a little parenthesis, is, is a little bit of a controversy because the the strictest adopters of biodynamics uh, uh, claim that it cannot be vegan because uh, the preparations are made, uh, you know, using animal uh, parts and uh, you know, for instance, they have these these strange rituals where they put uh, an herbal preparation inside a deer stomach, then they bury the stomach, and they use this thing, and it, it's ridiculous. It's just, oh, it's, just it's just uh, it's just buffoonery. Uh, the truth is that what you want to do with biodynamics is create an ecosystem that is uh, conducive to the plants and to the soil to be lively and 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 in tune with each other. Our vineyards are in, in perfect sync with the forests surrounding them and with the vegetation that grows. We plant cover crops uh, between the rows using a variety of, of 36 different seeds that we grow from other plants, and everything is organic and biodynamic, of course. And and uh, you should see uh, the fauna that thrives in this kind of environment. We have a myriad of insects and little animals and rabbits and all <laughs> kinds of things hopping around. And it looks like a natural environment as opposed to the desert that normal agriculture creates. Wow. So, uh, of course, biodynamics can be vegan and we're doing it and we're doing it successfully. So, you know, there's no, the dogma does not, does not apply, but the, in, in winemaking, um, there's, there's a fact, the, the, not only um, you have, you know, animal manure or other things during uh, cultivation, which we, of course, don't use because it's not necessary. You replace it with green compost. But in the cellar, 
several animal-based products are normally used. Uh, for instance, for fining wines, I don't know if you're familiar with the technique, but wine is a yes. cloudy, dirty matter when it's in the barrels. And, and, and when it's in the glass, you want it clean and, and transparent. So you have to remove these particles that are floating around. And the, the normal way to do this is by using protein-based mixtures. And so uh, most wineries use egg whites or, you know, the worst one used because it's cheaper, use ox blood to do oh, gosh. So imagine having a wine that has traces of ox blood inside. Oh, and horrible. Of course, this is, again, not necessary at all. And I'm going to get in trouble, but I'll tell you that I started using uh, non-animal based products to do fining before they were legal. But now they're legal, of course. And these are based on, on seaweeds and clay. And it's the most natural thing in the world. It doesn't leave any flavor behind. You use just a very small quantity, but it was absolutely unnecessary to use thousands of egg whites when you can do the same job with a little bit of clay. And so wow. that's what we did from the origins. And when it was not allowed, we used it anyway. And then when it became allowed, as it is now, we just kept using it. And, and of course, we say that our wines are vegan. But That is amazing. <laughs> it just takes a little bit of ingenuity. But, you know, the point is that people never make the connection between what they're doing and, and where it comes from. And when you're using those egg whites, um, you are um, basically condoning all the horrible violence that happens to the chicken who are forced to depose those eggs and all the suffering that they go through for no reason. And at the same time, you are helping the, you know, this horrible pollution that this factory farming creates in every, in every respect. So if people just stopped and thought about the cost, the real cost of what they're doing, then they would maybe realize that looking for an alternative is a good idea. And by the way, alternatives never cost so much more or sometimes cost even less. So why not use our head and try to avoid damage to the planet? It's so refreshing to hear you say this kind of stuff, Sebastiano. It really is. Um, and I just want to acknowledge you as well for the fact that you changed overnight by getting a leaflet from an animal rights activist. I think that's really wonderful because like you, I've done a lot of activism and handing out of leaflets. And it's really lovely to know that that kind of thing actually does have an impact. It and absolutely obviously with does. Yourself, it yeah. does. <laughs> the people who, who do this and, and are activists because you know, sometimes it's frustrating to be out there explaining things and people walk by. But, you know, there are a few people who will be touched and will be informed and will become aware. So it, it is absolutely worth it. Absolutely. So our thanks to everyone who does that. I've done that a lot in my in my youth. But, you know, keep doing it. Don't stop because it should be helpful. <laughs> Absolutely. So, Sebastiano, I mean, you're quite a, obviously you're a very high profile um, business person. So, I mean, you've been profiled in Forbes recently. I'm curious, what reactions have you had over the years, both in the wine business and in the business world in general, to you running your businesses on these ethical principles? Um, sometimes they're surprised. Some people don't don't take notice. Sometimes uh, there's uh, there's rejection. Uh, there are uh, very rare restaurants that have refused to buy our wines because we say we're vegan. Really? Oh, yes. Wow. It happened in, in the southern United States. But, you know, but our best clients are in the southern United States. So it's a mix. You know, it depends 
on. But you know, the, the turning down a wine because it is vegan is 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 simply <sighs> absurd. I mean, it's it's a good wine. It's a good wine. But um, <laughs> the reactions are really mixed. But I would say that in general, the positive side of all this is that because I live in in a circle, I I, I deal with. You know, uh, government officials, heads of state, uh, important business people. What I find fascinating is that I all, I'm always planting a seed of doubt of in, or interest in their heads. And any event that I organize, and I'm famous for organizing fantastic events, is of course vegan, sometimes vegetarian, because they, uh, you know, there are situations where you have to unfortunately compromise, but, um, the what happens is people are exposed to a fantastic side of vegan food. Normally, they're they're worried that um, uh, you know they're they're going to be served uh, flavorless tofu, and that's that's the concept <laughs> they have of vegan and vegetarian food. And instead, they um, you know sometimes they participate in, in in an event like the one we held in New York a few days ago where you have a 20-course menu of delightful food cooked by a fantastic chef like Daphne Chang, and they're all surprised. And so I would say that in the business world, there is no, um, you know, the, the it, it's not a factor that will open or close doors, but I would say that I've probably created more curiosity and acceptance towards vegan uh, food and ideas than uh, than I would have if I if I didn't uh, put it up there and up front as much as I do. That's brilliant. I love that because it's like you talked about how you were doing a certain type of activism when you were young, and obviously, as you say, you're still doing activism now because Wait. that's a form of activism. And how wonderful that you do get to influence high-level people in those areas. So that's absolutely fantastic. So talking about businesses, you've invested in many vegan-run businesses since 2012, including yes. uh, Beyond Meat, uh, Matthew Kenny Cuisine, as well as textile and cruelty-free technology firms. Tell me, and um, Sebastian, because our audience is aspiring and existing vegan business owners and, and entrepreneurs, what do you look for in a company when you're considering investing in it? Um, well, let's say that um, I, I look at all companies, vegan or non-vegan, the same way. And of course, they have to have brilliant ideas and good fundamentals and most importantly, excellent people at the helm um, because that makes the whole difference. You can have the best business idea in the world, and then if the wrong person is in charge, it's never going to go anywhere. And I've seen this, and I've experienced it, and I've lost money with it. So it's uh, that that's the fundamental uh, criteria. And um, so I would say that um, it's very important to uh, identify an idea that is special, unique, intelligent, and that is practical, that can be pursued and can be proposed on a vast uh, scale. And once a good idea is there and uh, uh, there is someone who can lead a company in a wise way from the business point of view, then you have a very good formula. And it doesn't always happen, but you know there, there are very good examples out, out there. 
Well, it's interesting you say that about uh, people. Um, can you go a little bit more into detail about that? So when you say it's the, the person running it, so what kind of qualities or what kind of things do you look for in those people that are running well, the companies? Let, let me give you let me give you a practical example. The chairman of Beyond Meat is Ethan Brown. He is vegan. And he is not only a very, 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 very intelligent person, but a very caring, empathic, and compassionate person as well. So the way he conducts his business is the sharpest possible because he's very smart. But at the same time, he takes into consideration um, the interests of the people who work with him, the interests of the planet. And he does it in a very, very inclusive, intelligent way. And when someone uh, deals with a word like that, taking everything into consideration, he's very aware also of business uh, issues. So he will be more sensitive to what people actually want, consumers want, and he will be more sensitive of what, how, you know, the whole chain of uh, market and sales and everything else works. And so he's my one of my favorite examples of, of absolutely brilliant people in charge of a business, uh, ethical and very smart and very effective. Um, mm. Another example, probably my favorite company overall, I hope I'm not making anyone upset. <laughs> uh, I don't know if you're familiar with LIDAR, which is now called LIDAR Culture, but yes, it is this fantastic, um, uh, let's say, food delivery business, but in fact, it's going to revolutionize the whole concept as as we go forward. But everything is under wraps, so I can't say much. But the, the founders, uh, Alexis Fox and Micah Risk, are uh, two of the most brilliant women I've ever met. Um, smartest people on the planet, determined, uh, caring, and active and and also very effective and the my goodness the brilliant ideas they have and how they pursue them it's it's shocking uh, many multinational corporations would benefit by having just a few minutes of their time so um, I would say that definitely the key to a successful business is the people behind it do they need to have some kind of track record, Sebastiano? Because I'm wondering, you know, because there are people no, that start up businesses no, I, and they no, maybe haven't I don't, got... I don't think so. Not at all. Not at all. I think I think being smart, you can be smart and do any job. And I, I personally was raised respecting every single person who works, no matter what they do. And uh, and I think you can be, you know, one day you're a writer and the following day you wake up and you have an amazing idea for a startup and it's going to be extremely successful. And I, I, I don't think that academic training in particular is, is fundamental. I'm a university dropout myself and I, I was so bored when I was uh, in university. I just wanted to go out and do interesting things. And I and I'm convinced you can get a fantastic education by reading and by studying by yourself you don't need to be locked in in a place taking classes now that's really refreshing to hear because i think a lot of uh, particularly small business owners and entrepreneurs when they're starting out they think oh well i've got to have you know this really solid business plan or i've got to have lots of business experience behind me so it's it's interesting to hear you say that well so uh, if uh, but let's let's clarify that you don't need to have a lot of business experience maybe but you do need to have a solid business plan no question okay. so the right. smart way to go about that is if you have a great idea but you don't have enough business experience associate with someone who does and let people who know how to do things better than you do what you cannot do. 
So always look for, always reach out for help and, and reach the people who can, can supply what you cannot supply yourself. Um, so what are some of the mistakes that businesses or startups make when they're seeking investors, in your opinion? Oh, that, that's a very good question. And there is one capital mistake, which uh, almost every single one seems to do, which is to inflate the valuation of their company. It drives me insane because I see one company after the other, after the other, after the other, going out, trying to raise funds with a silly valuation. Inevitably, they fail and they have to go back and either they extend the fundraising period or they lower the valuation, making everyone who's already invested upset. And it's, it's such a such a silly mistake. My advice is go step by step. Never try to raise more money than you need, but especially never think that, you know, your company is is Uber until it is Uber and even Uber is overvalued. So, you know, that's it just, you know, keep your feet on the ground. And but this is the most uh, common mistake and and the most fatal one because uh intelligent investors will not believe inflated valuations and they will not invest in a business that is overly optimistic. Um, you have to have solid projections and you have to have solid ideas to raise money. And if you're crazy and you think you're going to be, uh, you know, as big as Apple computer overnight, you're obviously making a mistake. So uh, that that's, in, uh, you know, the sin number one. And I, I'll go as far as telling you that, um, let's say that a startup business wants to raise $10 million. If they go out and say, okay, our valuation is $100 million, we want to raise $10 million, they're not going to do that. But mm. if they go out and say, you know, our valuation is, uh, say, $10 million, and for now we want to raise two, they're going to raise $10 million overnight, and their valuation is going to grow because they're going to raise more money than, than they actually set out for. So, that's a strategy that needs to be turned around completely. And and personally, if I um, get asked to invest in a business that has a, one of these balloon inflated valuations, I don't. That's that's my that's my mm. no matter how good the idea. That's wonderful. That's really really great advice, actually, because I think a lot of business owners, as you say, they do make that mistake because they're so they're so keen to get the investment that they think, oh, I better make it look better than it is. So that's really really fantastic um, advice there, Sebastiano. Thank you. Oh, I'm just wait, on... <laughs> just to add on that, the few companies that don't make that mistake, boy, are they successful and do they raise money and they raise all the money they need. You know, so wow. you have double proof that you know there's a strategy there. Fantastic. On the subject of money and wealth, um, this is one I, I want to have a chat with you about because obviously, you know, you're a multi-million dollar businessman and there are a lot of negative connotations around money and wealth. You know, the media perpetuates the notion that rich people are greedy, corrupt and unethical. Um, and I think, um, as I mentioned to you in our email, the Sydney Morning Herald, which is the state newspaper here where I am, just yesterday ran an opinion piece saying that, oh, the wealthy only get that way by, you know, not playing by the rules or doing something dodgy. <laughs> what do your thoughts on this? Well, I think, I think generalizations are, are silly anyway. So you know, no matter no matter what the subject, they don't make sense. And um, contrary to what you're saying, I think the media continually uh, portrays wealth as the only interesting goal of our life. If you look at TV, you know the the 
the portrayal of, uh, you know, someone is successful uh, as long, you know, measured on how much money they have, which I find absurd. So, you know, a brilliant scientist or let's say let my favorite example is a fantastic teacher who teaches in elementary school and has formed thousands of fantastic people and has shaped them in a way that will make them happy persons and, and caring people and, and successful as well in many ways. We don't recognize that as success. We, we, we think that, you know, what's the salary of a teacher? So I think the perception is completely turned upside down. And, and personally, I don't measure success by, by, uh, economic achievements because it's a, it's a silly criteria. I think that, um, uh, you know, there are people who make enormous amounts of money by, uh, for instance, by fracking or by pursuing other or, or by owning animal, uh, you know, animal uh, farming uh, plants. And I don't consider them successful at all. So let's let's put that aside and say, you know, society unfortunately portrays the person who becomes rich overnight as the most successful and most desirable person there is. That is wrong. Doing the opposite and saying anyone who makes money no matter how is a bad person is just as absurd. Mm, and I think yeah. we can measure how good a person is, no matter what their wealth, uh, based on how they use it and how much they're willing to share with others and with, and with good, um, you know, uh, ideas and organizations. And frankly, uh, for instance, I, I made money uh, in a, in a non dodgy way. That's for sure. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, what I do is I reinvested in, uh, ventures that will bring good to the planet, that will be do good to the animals that are good for people. So I don't feel guilty at all. And, and I think that there's nothing to be ashamed of in, in making money honestly and, and then reinvesting it in beautiful ventures. I love that. And the reason I asked is that I know certainly with a lot of the interviews that I've done is that it, that kind of idea or that myth of the beliefs that we're brought up with is that it can hold some vegan business owners and entrepreneurs back because, you know, they're worried they'll have to cross a line or go over to the dark side and have to make compromises in order to become wealthy. And I think that's true, especially, you know, those who come from a creative or activist background and want to start their own businesses. So I really like what you've said about that. So I hope that will inspire yeah. people from those backgrounds. And I, and I think, you know, it, I think it's it's pretty hypocritical to to consider that making money or or you know uh, or being rich is bad anyway. It, it it doesn't it doesn't make any sense. And I think anyone with that kind of conviction is not going to go very far. But um, you know we'll see we'll see what happens. Absolutely. Now, talking of costs, so one of the were key things that came up when I was uh, doing my interviews with vegan business owners and entrepreneurs is that when they're running their uh, their businesses on vegan principles, and particularly if they're also organic, sustainable, and fair trade, is they found that the cost of the raw materials or ingredients are quite high, particularly because they don't have access to bulk discounts, for example, that the bigger companies have. And this perpetuates the idea that ethical is expensive. What do you see as the solution to this, and what advice would you offer them? Well, the first thing is that I would challenge that notion because the truth is that um, conventional products and, and uh, non-ethical products carry a cost that is not factored into the price. So the notion is wrong to begin with. Uh, you know, non-organic 
food uh, might cost less on the shelf, but in terms of cost to the environment, cost to the community, cost to the planet, it's gigantic. And there's no proportion. So if meat were priced based on the actual cost it has in terms of uh, how much pollution it generates and how much uh, ecological disaster it generates, it should cost uh, probably several hundred dollars a pound. Yeah, <laughs> that's a good point. So first of all, the notion is wrong. Uh, ethical products are the only ones that are priced according to the actual cost because they don't carry hidden costs to the environment and to the healthcare system and to everything else. Then um, it is true that in terms of raw materials, you're going to pay a little more. But let's again look at what's behind that. If I'm buying uh, non-organic and non-fair trade ingredients, uh, the cost is environmental, as we already said, but it, there's also a big cost in terms of exploitation of people who produce these raw materials uh, and are not paid sufficiently. Uh, if you turn this notion around, let me give you another example of a fantastic company run by a woman again, Annie Rio, who runs the Jackfruit Company. She is sourcing the fruit in India, and she has struck deals with villages that make absolutely decent money to collect uh, this fruit that otherwise would have been abandoned. So they're making an income. She's sourcing raw materials in a fair way. The raw materials are great, and the product gets on the shelves at a very, very good price. So you can do it and you can pursue it. And there's no reason to think that it's a lost battle. In fact, it is a winning battle. And uh, eventually the world will take notice of the fact that, you know, apparently cheaper products actually carry a, such a high hidden cost that it's going to hit them anyway. Mm. I think it's just that frustration of, uh, you know, particularly getting these kind of products to the masses. It's that frustration that you can't compete. You know, if you're going to stay in business, um, it's quite hard to compete with those really cheap prices of the big supermarkets and, and that sort of getting that accessibility. That, that's, unfortunately, that's going to be uh, that's going to stay like that for a while. And we have to fight that. But that's where you need to use communication uh, to explain why your products are actually worth what they are and why the other ones are not even worth the cheap price that they're selling. That's right. Yes. Yeah. It's telling the story behind the product, which people can often relate to. Absolutely. So our final two questions, um, Sebastiano, this has all been absolutely fantastic, by the way. Um, what personal qualities, in your opinion, are required to become a successful business person or entrepreneur? Because not everybody's cut out to it. So what, what do people need? Well, in terms it, of we're, back to, we're back to the point of how we define successful. And I think successful is someone who in the pursuit of their ideas and goals and, 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 and business achievements takes into consideration all others, including animals. And, and so I think that to be truly successful, what you need is to care for others. And, and that's going to help. And then, of course, you know, all the things that we all know. I mean, you need to be determined. You need to be hardworking and, um, you know, in my experience, I, I haven't seen any, a single successful person who doesn't work very hard because that's, that's indispensable. 
So good to hear you say that because, you know, we have books like The 4-Hour Work Week kind of, you know, yes, <laughs> encouraging people. To, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, really? So it's really good to hear you say that. <laughs> well, I don't know. I, I, you know. I'm in a strange position because I love what I do, so I could do it 24 hours a day. And some people hate their job, and my advice is change jobs if you hate your job. Because, <laughs> you know, you're not going to be happy. But but there's no there's no way around hard work that that's obvious and and everyone I see who's um, very successful is working very 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 hard and that's 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 important but I would say that caring for others is the true key to success you cannot succeed in anything if you forget the ones around you and you'll get to a point where you clash against reality and and you figure out that you're you're alone and and not able to pursue anything anymore absolutely and just finally what have you've been in business a very very long time what have been some of the key lessons that you've learned whether personal or professional from your many years in business oh my that's a that's a <laughs> difficult question um key lessons are um for instance don't trust people too easily or too soon because you're going to be disappointed. <laughs> that's a hard lesson to learn, and it's never completely learned. But you know, it's it's uh, so. Just always do the math. And another lesson that I've learned is um, rely on your friends' advice and your associates' advice. Ask people what they think. The people you trust around you always ask them what they think, and value their opinion because uh, you know a shared uh, knowledge of, of what you're uh, looking at is going to help as opposed to just going by yourself and on your own. Fantastic. This has been so, so wonderful. You've shared so many really valuable insights and expertise and experience, Sebastiano, and I'm sure everyone who listens to this is going to take away a lot from it. So thank you so much for joining me on Vegan Business Talk. It's and much appreciated. Can I, can I add something? Because yes. you're, you're talking to a business audience and, and you know, to, to or aspiring business people. Um, don't be discouraged. Our, our niche of, uh, you know, vegan entrepreneurship is no longer a niche. It's taking over the world. So do what you want to pursue and, and do it with courage and do it now because we're taking over the world. I love that. That's my vision for the world. It's vegan. I say that at the beginning of my book, vegan world domination, one Absolutely. business at a time. I love it. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you so much, Sebastiano. Thank you very much. So that was Sebastiano Cossia Castiglione from Querchabella Winery and Vegan Investor. You can find out more about Sebastiano at querchabella.com. And you can find that link on the show notes page at veganbusinessmedia.com forward slash podcasts. Now for our vegan business news roundup. Hampton Creek, makers of Just Mayo, the famous vegan mayonnaise that was sued by Unilever, saw their revenues increase a whopping 350% in 2015, reports Food Navigator. Wow, that's some serious business. CEO Josh Tetrick spoke with Food Navigator after Hellman's announced its own egg-free offering last week, saying that he wants the big companies to get on board with healthy, sustainable and cruelty-free products so they can reach everyday people. So it's fantastic to hear that this ethical business is doing so well. 
More Than Meat, a producer of alternative meats, has launched what it claims to be the UK's first vegan jerk burger, reports food manufacturer. Made from plant proteins, red kidney beans and spices, the product aims to fill a gap in the meat-free space, according to founder Barry Honeycomb. The new jerk burger joins More Than Meat's vegan sausage and casserole lines. Now, it's always great when an entrepreneur turns their regular business vegan. It's even better when they announce plans to veganise all their businesses. And this is what Ravi De Rossi did this week, according to New York Eater. The New York-based restaurateur will make all 15 of his bars and eateries entirely plant-based, starting with Tiki Bar Mother of Pearl, which goes animal-free this weekend on the 14th of February, which is Valentine's Day. <laughs> so that's a lovely gift of love for the animals. De Rossi told New York Eater he wasn't worried about losing sales and was keen to eliminate animal suffering. He also said that any new ventures he participates in will also be only vegan. So way to go, Ravi. A new vegan soul food cafe has opened in Park Hill in Denver, Colorado reports Westward. Lonnie Bird and Caron Porter launched Love, Peace and Soul this week, and that's spelt S-O-L, which will serve a healthy version of soul food, replacing pork and lard with animal-free ingredients such as coconut milk and Caribbean seasoning. And that's making my mouth water as I'm saying that. It sounds absolutely delicious. So this really is food that's good for all souls, animals and people's. Finally, Jeremy Miller, the former chef of mainstream restaurant American Food and Beverage, plans to launch vegan pop-up dinners at Cafe Sunflower in Atlanta, reports the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Miller embraced vegan living a couple of years ago, but wasn't able to reconcile his personal and professional cooking methods until now. Herbivore, which is the name of the pop-up restaurant, won't feature fake meats, though. Miller, who's worked at several high-end restaurants, will instead work his magic on unique vegetable-based dishes. Isn't it fantastic to see chefs get a conscience and put their talents to great use by creating dishes that are good for people, animals and planet? Love it. <laughs> so that's it for this episode of Vegan Business Talk. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you enjoyed the show, please consider giving it a review and a rating on iTunes or any other platform you're listening on. I'm Katrina Fox from veganbusinessmedia.com and I look forward to catching up with you in the next episode. Bye for now. 